Welcome everyone to the uh, possibly slightly misnamed Building Scalable Websites. So we want to talk about many things today, but uh, first thing we want to know is who is in the audience with us? Uh, how many of you are developers? How many of you are artists? And how many of you are just interested generally in the business of scale? Okay, the business of scale seems to be the, the right. overwhelming group in the room, but we want to make sure we talk about everything here. So let's start just with about no more than 60 seconds. It's just a quick introduction. Hey, I'm Chuck Fishman. I'm the director of media, entertainment, and publishing at Acquia, helping uh, the company grow in the media and entertainment space. Uh, our music clients at scale include uh, the Recording Academy, Grammys, Dot com, uh, a lot of the Warner Music Group uh, artist websites and Interscope uh, and other uh, media clients. And I also am a musician and have spent 20 years working with George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic and also have my own project, FSQ. So a lot of angles I can touch on scalability. Uh, Sean Reed, Director of Sales for QTS Data Centers here in uh, Santa Clara. Um, probably about 20 years in, um, call it infrastructure, layer one to three, so, you know, network, data centers, that sort of thing. Um, we provide infrastructure services to uh, Spotify and a number of other uh, media and, and uh, digital content providers. Uh, also uh, a musician, not nearly on the scale of Chuck here, but uh, do, like to, do like to play guitar. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Dwayne Walker. I'm the senior vice president for a company called RightSide. Uh, you may not have, you know, what right side the name is, but you probably have used one of our services over the years. We manage about 16 million uh, uh, domains um, in the marketplace around the world, and uh, we're number two behind uh, GoDaddy on, on the retail side and number two behind VeriSign on the back-end infrastructure side. Um, and probably for this group, um, we recently acquired the rights, exclusive rights, to things like .video, .band, dot live, dot studio, all of which are sort of alternatives to dot com, if you will. Um, and so that's that's our business. Cool. My name's Damien. I'm the CTO of Gavera. Hopefully you've heard of Gavera. You may not have, though. It's a uh, streaming service out of Australia. Uh, we're very excited to be here. Um, we were founded by a Swedish Australian, which is usually the perfect combination for a streaming service. Um, we've built our own platform, so I'm here to uh, talk about streaming services as a platform. Uh, we've scaled um, significantly uh, into 20 territories, uh, a lot of emerging markets, so lots of challenges in some of those. And we're seeing phenomenal growth at the moment. Um, we've gone from a million to 15 million in about 12 months, and we're going to be 20 million by the end of the year. Um, so scaling is a big thing to us, so maybe we can talk about that today. Perfect. And I'm Seth Blank. I've worked with Warner Music Group, uh, Lincoln Park. Uh, my last business was acquired by Live Nation Entertainment, and I ran their infrastructure and uh, platform groups. And I'm here to lead the conversation. Um, so to get started, I think we need to start with definitions. So uh, again, quickly, when you think of scale, what does scale mean to you? You want to take it off, Chuck? Sure. So um, for, for our clients, scale means a couple of things, and I think this would apply to, to all of us, right? So there's scale for events, right? So we power the NBC Olympics. We power the Grammys. The Grammys uh, last year did 500 million page views on, in 24 hours. 
Um, so we need to be able to make sure that their application, and we are particularly supporting an application called Drupal for content management, that's totally perfect, that it works. We do load tests in advance, so that's kind of one bucket, right? The scaling for um, live events uh, and, and being able to do that digitally. The second um, type of scale that we do is in terms of the number of digital properties that you have. So for Warner Music Group, they've got uh, about 500 artist websites on our platform, and they're all accessible from a single interface. So if the senior VP of sales at Warner Music wants to see all of their West Coast artists and how their um, digital properties are performing, the analytics, they can log in from one single place and do that. But if there's the band manager for Paramore and they want to log in and just push some content to the Paramore site, they can do that well. So it's, it's um, a multi-tenant system. So that's the second bucket of how do I do multiple digital properties and scale that out? Because if you're a major record label, you're going to have you know, thousands of artist uh, properties that you're managing. Um, and then the third is something that I think you all should think about, some of you artists out there, is how do I scale my content? And what I mean by that is today it's not about your, your best homepage. It's about how do I get my content to Facebook, to YouTube, to Twitter, um, to Snapchat, to Vine, and all of these platforms, and now there's Whisper, and I could, you know, I could go on. So um, one of the things that we're doing is we're enabling our customers to you know, manage their content from a single place, and then use that using APIs, send content out to other places, and then measure back, right? So if there's Facebook insights or there are these analytics, pull back the analytics to a single place so you can see the full view, right? So I'm not going to like four different places, five different places to understand my audience. Um, so that third bucket, I think, of, of kind of how do I push my content out and measure, I guess, you know, distribute and um, analyze or listen, uh, is extremely important. I think um, there's integrations that you do, right? So using APIs, and, and that's what our platform is, is built to do, is to make sure that there's an open um, way to integrate with all of these uh, third-party platforms. Um, yeah, so when I think about scale, um, I, I mean, I think one of the obvious ones is the data, right? So, you know, people are taking more and more pictures and putting them on Facebook. People are recording more and more songs and putting them on, on all the services that we have here today. And, you know, it's not like the old pictures and the old songs go away. So, you know, there's that, that just, just growth. Um, and, and um, you know, the next thing in terms of size is then the analytics of that data and how to manage it. So we've got some customers who are, who are currently really struggling with, you know, they're in that analytics space and they're running their own infrastructure and it's just getting unwieldy and, and the scale of, of the operations isn't, isn't lining up with the business needs anymore. So uh, they're trying to figure out how to take that next leap. And these are, you know, this is a, the one I'm thinking of is a pretty, pretty experienced um, data center operator. So I, I think of it like that. Um, you know, then there's there's the the traffic like like Chuck was talking about, so I won't, won't reiterate there. And then there's geographic scale in, in terms of getting diversity and closer to your content. So when you're scaling, where your locations are going to be, you know, if, you know, you might be able to use a CDN for that, but you might need to be able to put your data closer, um, you know, to if you're a U.S.-based company and you're serving a lot of customers in Europe, you know, you're based in San Francisco, you need to get that stuff into, call it Virginia, New York. So um, th those are the kinds that I think things that I think about when I think of scale. Yeah, I think at right side, we think of scale, we do about 3 billion DNS queries a day because we're a domain uh, company, and, and we think about that number going from 3 billion a day, say, to 50 billion a day. It's a lot of 
queries, lots of activity, and so forth. But you know, I'm, I'm on the business side. I'm, I'm in charge of mainly in business development. So I think about scale relative to how do we grow our revenue, how do we grow our customer base, our margins, and not have our costs and our employee count growing at the same percentage levels. And so I think about it. You know, if we do our job well with scalability on the technical side, it shows up because we're making more money, right? And we're servicing our customers better. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a matter of uh, how do the economic scale based off of what we've done from a technical infrastructure uh, point of view. Cool, yeah, the scale is really interesting. There's probably two things for us. And first is the opportunity. Um, and it's worth pointing out because I know not everyone knows about Gabera, but um, there's probably two billion people in the world like consuming music digitally somewhere out there. Uh, which is a massive number. Uh, we have a brand-funded platform. Uh, we don't say ad-funded, we say brand-funded. We really believe that you can drive more revenue through brands on our platform than you can on subscription models, and we want to take a huge chunk out of that $2 billion. Um, like I said, we're already looking at <coughs> up to $20 million at the end of the year. We want to hit $125 million next year, and then you're starting to go into the, the areas where scaling really means uh, some serious numbers, you know, the $1 billion mark. There's only a few companies that have hit that sort of size. But we all know people in the world consume music. They all do it, and we believe we've got the platform to do that. So that's on one hand. The other thing is um, scaling for a streaming service is very different to that of like a website. There's a lot of components associated with that. We have uh, petabytes of data. We have over 28 million uh, songs on our platform, so you can imagine that. It's then the distribution of that data across territories, particularly in emerging markets. Uh, we then have a number of platforms such as recommendation engines um, and to, to link all of those platforms together, to have them talk seamlessly and to scale is quite a complex thing, but uh, hopefully there's a few things you can take away today that we've done and some experiences that we have. If you want to have your own startup or your own streaming service, uh, you will learn a little bit about that from what we can talk about. Great. Um, we also have a microphone up in front if anyone's interested in asking questions, otherwise we will have a Q&A at the end. Um, the, the next question is to get a little more specific on what we just said, uh, and I really want to dive into scale for someone in the music industry is maybe different than scale for people in general. From my experience, um, music businesses have much spikier traffic patterns, right? You've got a single drops, someone does a show. Uh, your artist is on American Idol, whatever it is, and you have an immense amount of traffic and then nothing. And one of the things that's really scary from a business point of view is how do I control for that cost when I want as many people to come and watch and consume as possible, but I can't, I don't know what that means or how that's going to affect my bottom line, but I don't want to curtail that from happening. Uh, do any of you have any specific examples uh, you want to go into how you address that? Um, so, we, you know, one of the things that we're offering our clients is um, the ability to scale up and scale down and that we're monitoring that. So, Time Inc. did not tell us that they had the exclusive on LeBron James going back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so, um, our remote monitoring on, um, you know, SI.com, which is Sports Illustrated, showed us that they were getting like 6 million page views within the hour. Uh, it was returning 503 errors, which is, you know, a web term for too much traffic. And we we upscaled them, right? So um, that's something where, like, we have that relationship with them that they already have that as an automatic thing. How do you you keep costs down? Well, you should be working with your technology partner to, you know, let them know if you have a big exclusive like that or you have a single or 
Um, you also should know if you're doing a campaign on Twitter or Facebook and you're going to be pointing people back to the site. I see that happen a lot where you've set up a social campaign, but you don't think about what the ramifications are of that. So you have to prepare and plan. But it's always good to have a technology partner um, to kind of offload some of the concerns about it that's monitoring uh, for traffic spikes. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, when, when, when we brought um, Spotify into the U.S. and helped them with their launch, that, that whole networking and traffic was really a big um, component of that was, you know, what, what's the planning going to look like? How are we going to move the data back and forth across the, you know, the pond? And, uh, and you know, it, it, was, it was more about the, the network and the traffic management than, than the infrastructure. So, again, you know, they, they engaged a technology partner to help get that done um, and some experts on that stuff. I think also it asked some more technical guys on the panel here is that, you know, elasticity in AWS for just offloading some of that content when you don't know what's going to happen if you're, you know, if you're smaller? Yeah, I've sort of said that before. Um, if you're a startup in the room or if you're trying to build your own thing, there's really no excuse uh, not to be on Amazon. Uh, they provide everything uh, for you to be able to do that. You obviously need to be technical, um, but you don't need a lot of technical people. You just need someone who's really, really good at what they do and they know the platform inside and out. Uh, there's just so many different uh, platform architectures that you can put together that involve caching and a CDN and a content delivery network is probably the key thing uh, to scaling for those peaks and troughs. Uh, we have that as well with album releases and things like that. We also have done some um, examples where we've had distributors like Lenovo uh, phones um, where we come pre-installed so you can see sort of higher traffic peaks when those go out into certain countries and things like that. If you have that content delivery network there and you have the caching set up, uh, you, you never see issues with, with scale. I think in our, our case, um, our spikes happen for reasons you probably don't think about is a lot of our spikes happen from uh, attacks coming in from foreign countries. We, we deal with about a thousand attacks a year. So being able to deal with those and get them off um, and mitigating uh, attacks is as important or more important than even spikes for real legitimate business reasons. Um, so we have a whole team that deals with nothing but that information security and attack management along with third party partners that we work with. But I also agree that in terms of both CDN and Amazon, there are for regular business spikes, if you will, for business reasons, right, uh, we tend to work with an outside partner like Amazon and others for scalability. Mm -hmm. So uh, of those people in the room who said they're sort of in the business, uh, interested in scale, um, do you have tech stacks in place? Are you curious about what you need to know? Um, where, you know, I guess show of hands or if anyone wants to grab the mic and ask a specific question for a second, um, what, what do you want to learn right now? Should be using to just begin, right? So I have a website that I've developed, but I don't know beyond using Amazon Web Services like what's the minimum set of technologies I should use, such as caching, like you mentioned, or other other stuff? So, if I could just start with a base set, what would what would you recommend? Okay. So, so the the question is, you're starting from scratch, small. What's the minimum thing to start with, so that I guess scale doesn't bite you in the ass? Exactly. Shall we? <laughs> Thank uh, and, and Damien, do you want to? Yeah, I can jump in a little bit. So, if you've got your own technology team, or you know, you you're a coder yourself or an engineer. Um, there's some pretty basic stuff in Amazon that automatically scales. It's inherent to the actual service. Uh, things like RDS, uh, which is a relational database system, and you can choose to have MySQL in there. But it's very easy to set up replication there. Um, 
We also have issue or things with storage. So S3, again, it automatically uh, scales. It has 11 nines of resilience there. Um, so you can use a lot of out-of-the-box stuff. You can even do uh, auto-scaling uh, through Amazon quite simply. Um, again, you don't need to code anything. It just comes out of the box. And a lot of these products have been developed in the last 12 months. They're, they're iterating quite quickly and making it easier for small businesses. I think I talk in two parts, and that's to your first million and then you know, beyond one million and then over 100 million. There's probably like those, those, those big jumps. And uh, to get to one million where you need pretty much basic sort of setup, as long as it's got the caching and you're using RDS, S3, some of the standard stuff, you should have no issues to get to that one million. about a tech, uh, capability that's already embedded in Amazon services, or are you talking about another thing that's on top of No, they do have something called Redis, um, but you can also install Memcache on there. Um, what you have is an EC2, which can obviously be fired up as any type of um, you know, platform that you would like to use. Um, so then you can use something like Nginx or Varnish. Um, and then depending on how your uh, code has been written, you can cache partials of your page or full pages. Uh, the other thing they have is CloudFront, which is their version of uh, a content delivery network. So you can actually cache whole pages. So if you're expecting to get a, a huge hit to one particular page, you can cache that entire page, or you can choose just to cache sections of that page. Okay. So the, the main reason you're trying to move traffic away from your data layer, um, that's usually where you have issues on your database and things like that. You want to bring it forward um, and try and uh, you know, serve that traffic as quick as possible um, from cache. Okay, and when yeah. you're working with a site that's very dynamic, for example, a social network where you can go to one user, they'll have some content, you go to another user, they have more content. Uh, is there anything that will enable you to cache data that will be reused? Yes. Commonly? Yeah, so again, on depending on how you build it, you can cache partials so of that page, or if it's a web app, you can um, you know cache part of those pages. But you can also set a time to live um, in your header um, and have that, you know, you can have it as low as like 30 seconds or 15 seconds. So it still is dynamic, but you're getting the benefits of if you have 60,000 concurrent users at once, it's not hitting your servers. It's all being hit by CloudFront. And, and so I'm going to... Uh, take this back because I think this actually segues into some uh, very important conversation which is a lot of scale problems or fear problems I don't know what to handle and I want things to grow well but I'm afraid I'm going to run face first into a wall from the things I don't know and so for, from the, the business side right from assembling a team what are the skill sets what's the experience you look for when, when uh, evaluating a team or a product to make sure you've got people looking at the right things, uh, worrying about scale can help you, but without prematurely architecting a solution to a problem you might not have yet. Well, I think, you know, if, if you're looking at, you know, at, at your technology partners, I think one of the things that you want to look at is, is flexibility and, and some breadth of product. So if, um, you know, if you're, I'm going to use kind of a dated example, but if you're if you're standing up a a, a data center and a co-location facility in um, with a with a company and that's all that they provide, and you decide you know six nine months down the road, or maybe your equipment's coming up on end of life, and you've got another year left in your contract, and you realize you want to shift and put that stuff onto a cloud service, but you're locked into this contract, um, you know that's that's going to hinder you somehow, probably financially or, or perhaps. Sean, do you have a specific example you can explain? Um, 
Well, I can't cite companies, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. but I mean, it's a service that we provide, so it's a way that I look at it. So what, what we'll allow our customers to do is to to shift that spend off of, you know, if you have, uh, I don't know, 50 racks in a data center cage and you want to take that down to 25 racks because you figured out how to offload half of the service over here, we can do that for you. Or if you decide, you know, you want to, um, you know, you're running out of staff and you want to lean on us for some managed services. That's the kind of, those are the kinds of, of scalability things that you can do. So same thing with a network provider. Um, you know, do they have a CDN as well as an MPLS backbone and an IP backbone that you can, you can move your traffic around as things change, you move into multiple locations, that sort of thing. So, so flexibility and ability to move your spend is, I would say, from a business aspect, a, a pretty important one to look at. And um, Dwayne, can you speak to the cost implications of mm -hmm. scale and what, what you've seen and where it really affects you and really doesn't affect you? I, I think for us, what, what we've learned is uh, be, be careful trying to save money up front at the expense of burning yourself long term, meaning that there are situations where you simply need to go hire the best people. Not a lot of people, you, but you do need to hire the best people and the smallest quantity of best people. So for us, that means we probably pay a little bit more for great people right, and try to keep those great people happy. Um, and uh, there's a lot of competition for great people. So I don't think you can throw bodies at it. You really have to throw expertise. The other thing that we've learned is make sure you hire people who've, ran, who've operated and run a technical environment that's much larger than yours. So they, in other words, they've been there, they've been burned, right? They have the scars to prove it. Um, not someone who says, I'm really excited to work with Amazon for the first time and it's on your nickel, <laughs> right, you know, as an example. Yeah, I, I can't stress people enough as well. Like, uh, you can find one person, this is the experience that we've had, and it's, it's a great thing to say, is that uh, to scale to our, our first million, we had only one person. Um, so it's the, the DevOps scale. Um, if you get the right person, we have this 10x effect where this person can do, the, you know, 10 times what they're actually doing. Um, now to support... Um, you know, 15 million plus users, we only have three DevOps people. So it's, it's quite a small team for what we're actually doing. Um, so it's amazing how when you have the right expertise and then you also have a great partner or someone who can actually deliver cloud services, you can do things uh, quite cost effectively. And Damien, can you explain uh, specifically what tools did that single DevOps person have? What, what, made the, what made it possible to just have one person there? Yeah, I think um, that's the great thing of DevOps is, is they tend to have an engineering background, um, so they understand the application. I think when you marry the application with the system administration um, and cloud, and they can actually uh, modify the application or at least offer advice on how the application should work, and then to be able to orchestrate how that rolls out into a cloud environment, um, that's really the key thing. Uh, you need people who have a lot of interest in Amazon and studying things because they're constantly releasing uh, new services and things like that. So that's the other thing. Are you leveraging all the tools at your hand? And how much assistance from engineering was there? Uh, there has been, yeah, a real, I mean, we have great engineers as well. I mean, you've got to have great people to have a small team. I believe in, in keeping teams as small as possible, um, but hiring awesome people. And so all of my engineers have access to Amazon or the platform. There's no... Uh, you know, pass off in the old days where you'd go through change management and you'd have, you know, this uh, person who would release the application. It just doesn't happen. Um, we have our engineers that have full access to the infrastructure. Great. Um, and I, I 
think something was, was mentioned here about um, just something that, that shocked people. I, I think, uh, again, if we could have short specific stories about any scaling horror stories any of you have experienced and uh, are willing to share <laughs> in a non <laughs> we know who you are and how did you overcome it? No takers, huh? No. <laughs> I can only speak I, about successful results. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've witnessed a couple. Um, and, 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 yeah, they come around, um, and I can actually, you know, kind of give two extremes, actually. Um, building not to be, you know, building a, a very specific thing that, that, that can't move, um, you know, can't be, either the data can't move because it's just too much and, and networks are probably expanding to absorb some of that now, um, or having a, an architecture in a single location uh, without any kind of disaster recovery. And in, in those instances, you're, you're completely at the mercy of your provider. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a sales guy, but I report, I, you know, I have to deliver these contracts, but I report up to, you know, business managers that are going to take advantage of those things. Now, you know, what ultimately happens is the customer figures it out, um, and then, then, then revenue evaporates out the door very quickly. But it's, it's very painful for those businesses. So I, I think things like AWS make it easier to replicate your data and kind of get it out of there, and it might be a short-term hit. But, but there's that. Um, the, the reverse, though, that, that kept us on our toes, uh, this is going back about, I don't know, 10 years ago, is, um, again, previous data center company that I was with, Google had a full room from us, about 10,000 square feet of racks. Those racks were on wheels. So we knew that they could go out whenever they wanted. So, uh, you know, that kept us honest. But, you know, they, they had that kind of scale. They thought about it, and they, they had a distributed platform. So, you know, whatever that looks like for your application, something to keep in mind. Yeah, we, um, at a company that I, I used to work for, we ran into a situation, which I won't forget for, for sure, which was we had a provider who was sort of, the pitch was they were our backup provider, and it was also our scale, uh, scalability provider. Mm -hmm. Um, we had a pretty massive attack hit our network, and we needed to go to the backup because we were just we got overwhelmed, and we hit the switch. Right, it, it worked on a whiteboard. It did not work off the whiteboard, um, <laughs> and it was a lesson about although companies will tell you that they can do all these great things, you have to test those cases, like really test it. Like okay, let's fake a situation here where we really do put a level of load on the system so that we are controlling so we can back it off and, and know whether the failsafe worked. In our case, I don't think we adequately tested it. So when it happened and we hit the switch, it was there was nothing there. You know, obviously we took all the legal actions you could take against the company, but it, it damaged our relationship with our customer. So the customers don't care that we're suing someone out mm -hmm. the other side. So for us, it was a lesson of, you know, test your providers extensively. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I think it's financial scale. So, you know, what I've seen in the music industry is labels doing, trying to say, okay, we've got like, you know, uh, Universal Music has Justin Bieber. So they spend a million dollars on the Justin Bieber site, which given the amount of revenues he brings in, Sounds pretty reasonable, right? But then you want to scale it out to the amount of artists that you have. And um, so where I've seen a lot of mistakes made is how do I financially scale you know, my digital uh, builds? And I think if there's any way to kind of consolidate, um, have a single technology stack for your, your brands, um, that's, a, that's a way to address that. And another place where I see scaling issues is um, 
I don't know how many of you guys manage artist websites, but it's the amount of uh, integrations that you have. So, right, you've got to do your commenting system. You've got to have your Facebook uh, and Twitter integrations. You've got to have your uh, email marketing system, whether it's MailChimp or Exact Target. And you want to integrate all these things, but eventually you try to put all those into the kind of the back end of the site, and the site breaks and doesn't scale. So that's another issue I've seen in the music industry. I've also um, had uh, a pretty bad experience in this prior to going to cloud. Uh, so when I joined about two and a half years ago, we did have data centers. They're actually in Phoenix, uh, of all places. And um, we did our ingestion there. So if tracks aren't ingested, I'm sure we all know how it works. It gets released. Uh, we want to get it through the system and onto our platform in the quickest time um, possible. Um, for the artists particularly to get their, their new tracks out. Now when something went wrong there, um, the notification system wasn't automated, it wasn't great. Um, we had to call them and then we literally would have a GIMP walk downstairs and take a photo of the screen um, and then paste that into an email and send us the error. Um, <laughs> you know, this is what we had to deal with. Uh, whereas when you get that control over your own infrastructure and in a cloud platform, you can actually monitor things really well and see when you're having any issues on scale or whatever it may be and be able to react immediately. And I, I think one of the things we're hearing is that you're going to have scale issues, right? You're not going to avoid them. No, no one up here has avoided them. No. And yeah. <laughs> you can't prematurely optimize your way out of scaling issues. You can make sure you're thinking the right way so when a scale issue hits, you can react accordingly. Um, but on the fear side, because there's a lot of fear, what are some common issues you've seen that if people look in the audience look out for, they can at least rest a little easier at night? Any takers? Yeah, I think uh, one thing just to start with is um, you just need to make sure you've got some resilience um, between each of those infrastructures. So that question you asked before, you know, do you have duplicate servers? Are you using multiple regions? Just a lot of those things are quite basic to do. Uh, it doesn't take long to set up, but uh, if you've got the basics there, then you can actually scale. So we talk about horizontal scaling and vertical scaling, where vertical scaling is increasing the capacity of your individual components. Um, that's something quite easy to do. So first you make sure you've got two of everything and then you scale vertically. That will get you to probably uh, where you want to be very quickly, your first year, first 18 months uh, with the traffic that you're talking. And only after that do you, you, you start to use uh, orchestration or maybe even uh, microservices. Anyone else? Yeah, I, would, I would just expand on that and, and say don't, you know, when Damien says two of everything, uh, you know, that don't don't rely on your service provider to have two of everything because you know something can go wrong there. I mean, uh, you know, you want to be in two data centers, have two networks, you know, <clears throat> be in two regions, and, and, and it goes on and on. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. We have a, a little over two thousand servers. We're in five different data centers. The data centers are operated in various regions for various security reasons and performance reasons. So there, you have to have a lot of redundancy and, and, and you should expect things to go wrong. The real question is, it's okay if they go wrong if you can then flip over and use other things while, and then deal with what went wrong. Um, so it's not, things will go wrong. You just have to be ready for them. You can augment with consultants. So what we do at Acquia is we send in two of our employees to sit on site with the Grammys during the actual event. And 
you know, they have a relationship with the Recording Academy during the rest of the year, so they build that trust, but then they actually go and sit as employees of the Recording Academy to make sure nothing goes wrong on that actual event. So sometimes you can throw all the hardware and exactly. software at it, but at some, it becomes a people issue, and who, who are those extra resources I can get on my team that are kind of virtual team? Mm -hmm. And that's a, a great point and comes back to a few other things that have been said today about how really we're, we're talking about distribution. How do you get your content in as many places without hitting walls? And so I want to ask the question of what are really good ways to offload some of that distribution capability? Chuck, I believe earlier you were talking about APIs that came into play that helped you access services so you didn't have to worry about the scale of those uh, matters. Can you give us some specific examples of things people can use? Oh, so, I mean, there's, I don't know all the vendors in that space, right? Like there's something like a tube mogul, which you could send all your video out to different services. What we see um, our clients do, for instance, um, uh, MS Radio, they've built into their back end a way to tailor the, cut, the content, right? Because you don't want to have the same message for Twitter or for YouTube or Facebook, but they're sending out all their content from their back end content management system, sending it to Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, you know, any of those platforms, Instagram, and then they're actually using the APIs to not only push the content out, but then to get the analytics back. So you'll find something like Facebook Insights actually has an API that you can call to get the data back. And so they have a holistic view of the audience across platforms from their own dashboard. And I think that's important. And the APIs are there to allow you to do that. So whether you're a startup or you're an artist um, and you want to see how your audience is consuming your content on multiple platforms, I guarantee you there's an API. There's an Instagram API that'll allow you to actually see, uh, again, how your content's being received on that platform and you pull it back in to a single place. I think that, that really helps you um, I don't know if it's scale, but it helps you get the, like, the integrated view of the, of the audience of the customer in a single place. Um, you should definitely be looking at what social media platforms and their APIs uh, are and how they can uh, offer you a better look at the uh, audience. And Damien, I believe you're talking about uh, CDNs. Can you talk about how you use that effectively, especially in your world where you have uh, rights at sort of each endpoint? To deliver content or not deliver content appropriately. Yeah, yeah, no, CDN's obviously uh, the client front to that. What, what's actually interesting in the music industry is there's more and more uh, service providers that provide a lot of these uh, services that uh, cover, I suppose, the heavy lifting part of things. So companies like Seven Digital and Omniphones, you can partner with some of these companies and they actually provide all of the assets for you, all of the metadata. Um, <clears throat> You can obviously use companies like Gracenote and Rovi as well. So when you're looking at, you know, data is one of the biggest things with the music industry. There's just so much data. Um, if you can get a service provider to partner with you and provide some of those services, um, then you don't have to worry about those scaling things. And, and that stuff is really important. That's like when someone's release goes out the wrong day or, you know, too late, too early. Any of those things can be a nightmare. Um, to be able to pass that off to someone and have them as your ongoing partner is a great way to cover scale. Um, let's come back to Amazon Web Services for a moment because we had several comments about that and there's been a, uh, I think a threat here is AWS should be a core portion of your tech stack. Um, argue that amongst yourselves. Is, is that a fair statement or is that completely unfair? Well, I think these are, these are quite different. So one, I've got my own tech. <laughs> You know, it's a tech startup. It's our, we have to know our technology. We have to know our infrastructure. We have to know our platform. Whereas I think uh, if you're, a, you're an artist and you just want something, then it's, it's two very different things for purposes. 
I definitely think have a partner, right? So uh, I come from the Drupal world, so we're Acquia, and we help people with Drupal sites. But if you're a WordPress uh, outlet, there's WP Engine, and they offer support for WordPress. So I think having a support partner that's going to make sure your site stays up um, is extremely important. I think AWS gets into the kind of the, the enterprise world, you know, big businesses. And, you know, interestingly, what Acquia is providing is an extra layer of support on top of AWS because actually our customers are, when they, they launch a, you know, a site on the Acquia platform, we're built on top of Amazon. Um, so it really depends on your scale, right? If you're a smaller um, digital brand or, or, or app or, uh, you know, web property and media <coughs> site or artist site, look and see, you know, there's there's a, um, a myriad of companies out there that provide that kind of both the, not just the hosting support and making sure that your site's up, but actually the, the code review and code support because that's a big part of what is going to keep your um, digital property online, right? It's not just, well, wow, I got like five, you know, 500 million hits during Grammy night. It's also about like, did my code work? And so you want to have that additional review. And I don't think... You know, we're talking about Amazon. I don't think um, Amazon actually provides necessarily the technology professional services that uh, a company like, um, you know, would do for you on that kind of consulting level. Yeah, I think for, for us, we, we don't use Amazon as our primary. It's, it's part of the stack, mm -hmm. and we will, but most of our technologies run in our data centers by our tech team. We have about 40 people in our tech team, that, but that's all in. But... We, there are places to use Amazon. Sometimes when you are bringing out a new application, a new service, something you want to test, something you're not sure you want to build out internally yet, um, or it's for scalability reasons for special situations. So for us, it's part of the technology stack, but it's not our primary. Uh, but you know, I guess you, it, it sort of depends on your company whether or not you have a tech infrastructure team or not, and yeah. what your philosophy is about that. I think if you want to go to a billion users, which is where we want to go to, you need to be able to use some of the uh, the systems that uh, Amazon uses. So it may, certainly makes it a lot easier. Um, so you start to split off from having what we call a monolithic style stack, um, where everything's laid in one area and you start to move towards microservices, and we're starting to, to go down that path now, where you split off authentication, so authentication is its own stack, and that's separated, um, and you split each individual stack out, and you have these microservices that are interconnected by RESTful APIs. Um, that's really the only way you can scale to like the billion plus users, so you need to be in a, a considerable uh, you know, user amount before you need to go down that path. I think the danger there is you can hire someone like a technical person who wants to do that fun stuff uh, the hipster coding of uh, microservices <laughs> you can find yourself in a, in a very tricky situation it's extremely hard to orchestrate that and to monitor across all of these platforms so I think it's it's very wise to have a, a, a you know a service provider or a partner to help you through those early stages if you if you don't have the technical expertise in your team and I think that actually also touches on a really important time, which is monitoring and measuring important things. And many scale problems actually coming just because someone wasn't monitoring the appropriate thing or the appropriate thing wasn't monitored. Um, so um, let's just go down the panel. And if you could talk about something that you've found in your experience is important to monitor or to measure to get ahead of scale problems. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, you got to, you got to, I mean, you, the technology has gotten to a point where you really can monitor everything pretty efficiently, right? Uh, there's really no excuse not to, if, if something comes up and really bites you, 
there really is no excuse for that anymore. There's plenty of great technology out there for monitoring. I really do believe that. Well, there could be something. I mean, we do the uh, site for MTA for, for the New York subways, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, during Sandy, the, the servers went out, <laughs> but they had multi-region failover with, uh, with Acquia, and they were able to keep the site up for, for the consumers. But I think having a plan B, so, like, I talked about social media campaigns, right? If you're doing something uh, on Twitter, and that's the way you've set up the campaign with, with Tone Den, which is a way to unlock... Uh, SoundCloud downloads, but all of a sudden you get locked out of your Twitter account. This may seem like something really silly, but it could happen. So make sure that you have a, a backup for that campaign on Facebook. So always have like a backup plan for whatever your <coughs> campaign is that day, so that if that one platform doesn't work and all of a sudden you've been sending traffic there, that you can send someone to somewhere else where they can, um, you know, get redeem that ticket or or get that promotion or have that award. Because if you're doing a marketing campaign and it fails, that's like the worst case scenario. Yeah, I think one of the horror stories for me is uh, I had an investor uh, call in or actually diagnose a bug before our team, uh, which is just hideous. Um, you can imagine uh, the ripples that created when uh, the email came through. And the reason for that was that it was an advertising asset that was actually breaking the mobile application in certain territory. And this is where things get really complex. When you go into another country, you don't have people on the ground, and then you're serving ads from networks, uh, which you don't know what people are injecting into your code or into your app, and it has the ability to break that up. That's probably the scariest thing that we've had, and we still struggle to monitor that. Um, when we're talking about servers, there's lots of things. We use New Relic, and New Relic is great. You can have it within your mobile application and follow the path all the way up into the service, into the back end, which is fantastic. But things like advertising or third-party SDKs in your mobile applications can cause huge problems and very hard to monitor. I've seen Facebook like buttons break sites. So yeah. you go to like a WordPress <laughs> site, and there's a Facebook like button, and it just actually obfuscates the whole page. Yeah, yeah this, and I think the, the, the issue on mobile is particularly challenging. Right? Previous company, we underestimated how many different mobile devices are really out there, <laughs> right? And when you are doing something that's in 100 plus countries and there's all these different phones being released and different operating systems, it is, that's a place where I think it's super tricky because you have to like be there, right? There's simulators that you can use that will simulate the different mobile devices. But they're not 100% accurate, especially when the phone, a new release just happened in some country and it's in Vietnam and someone's screaming at you in the language that you don't understand. <laughs> right. And I think that's uh, a great segue to the, into the next question, which you just touched on a little bit, which is really just testing at scale. We've talked about, you know, you need backup plans. You need to, you know, not just say we have a, a failover switch or we have this testing place, but you need to actually activate it and use it and make sure it works. Otherwise, things go wrong and you can't recover. Um, but testing at scale is way harder than that, isn't it? Isn't it, you know, if you need traffic, if you need to actually cut over a physical production server, you have very little bandwidth for error. How do you go about doing that? <laughs> Can I just touch on something slightly, slightly different? If you want to is, avoid the question. Yeah, we're avoiding the question, totally. Um, <laughs> But that's just, again, back to that mobile. And, and when you're in 20 territories um, and you don't have people on the ground, 
uh, what you do. And, and one thing that we've been able to uh, do is find a, a company who actually does testing. Um, they do global app testing. So you say the countries are Saudi Arabia and they actually have 50 people on the ground who go out, they record it, they use the app. Uh, you can say, I want you to use, you know, we've got six carriers. I want you to use these networks. I want you to use the app this way. And so we're tracking all that information. They send it through. It's just impossible to be able to, as you talk about, the number of devices um, in some of these markets, like India especially, they're just huge. And you've never even heard of these devices. You're like, what? What is this? Um, so if you can find or, or get a partner to do that, they're called like global app testing. And there's a few more companies out of the UK, now the yeah. US that are doing that. But that's a great way to one at least see the playing field what you have to deal with um, and then testing at load I think yeah for a company like us uh, we do that internally and we manage that but if, if you're not a tech company then you need to find a partner to help you and just on that note, there's a company called usertesting.com, which I've seen do that thing, yeah. do that effectively. Amazon has a product called Mechanical Turk, where you can literally farm yeah. out tasks people to test them. I've seen all these things automated in ways to help people with these problems. Uh, but can, can I just yeah. add one other thing that Please. people might want to think about is uh, one of the things that, you know, once again, that, that the same company I was working at, we actually took the time to instrument all of our revenue down to the device level on mobile so that we could actually monitor. There were times when our revenue was dipping, right? And you, you could find out if you monitor down to the device level that it was the problem was on mobile devices in this geography down to this type of operating system release. So you can actually instrument your revenues against the devices because in mobile, you really do need to know exactly what phone is causing up or down. And or iOS versus Android, is there some changes? That's, and if you instrument your revenue against the devices and against the mobile operating systems, you actually can isolate problems pretty quickly. And was there a specific tool you used to do that in we, we actually ended up having to build it ourselves because we couldn't find a tool. So we actually, I uh, forgot the name of it, we, we, we contracted out with a company to get the database of all the different devices and operating mm -hmm. So I forgot the, the name of that company, but they licensed the, uh, the data that tells you about all the different devices and operating systems. We licensed the data, and then they updated the data daily for us for all the devices around the world operating system. And then we built the application so that we could actually uh, instrument our revenue against the devices so we would know instantaneously what device was causing the problem, either good or bad, up or down, right, you know, by, by device and operating system. So something to look into. Uh, it'll come to me here in a second. <laughs> yeah, no, we have it, the same thing. Um, rather than revenue, though, uh, we have these real-time logs. So we can actually see what music people are listening to at any given time, which is, one, it's really interesting. Um, but two, straight away, you, you can see very quickly if there's issues in a particular region because those numbers will drop uh, dramatically. Um, but the hard thing is when, say, for example, Google, we had an issue just recently where they updated Stage Fright, which is their video application within the uh, Google uh, platform or the Android platform. And Nexus phones were the first ones to receive that. So we didn't see massive traffic number drops, but it was just affecting Nexus phones. Um, and then it obviously got rolled out to Samsung, etc. So it's, it is actually very complex to try and monitor these things um, when there's so many devices. That's one of our hardest challenges, I think. Okay, so I think we've got five to ten minutes left, so I'd like to turn it open to audience questions if there are any. Um, please uh, stand up and get the mic. Anyone? Hi, guys. We've covered a lot of stuff. You guys are awesome. What's the one thing that you didn't know 
maybe a year ago, two years ago, since everything is changing so fast, that you maybe wish you had known to avoid something, or now that you're really excited that you do know it because it's helping you do business better or scale better? You can think about it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what I'm trying to tell um, my clients is, yes, JavaScript looks really cool on the front end, but like as a consumer, it's really annoying. So like I think of, I'll pick on something that's not a customer. Um, I'm a member of Equinox Clubs. And the site looks really beautiful, and you try to navigate through it. So I'd say the one thing I noticed today is like an overuse of front-end technologies to make things really beautiful when they could just use maybe WordPress or Drupal or the front-end um, themes that come with WordPress and Drupal and some other uh, CMSs, and they've just overloaded it and detached that um, platform and then had this, this kind of weird front-end product. So... What have I seen today? That's what I'm seeing today versus a year ago. And I would, I would ask companies to cut it out and go back to the theming layer. I, I would say what you know what I've seen across customers and um, data, uh, you know networks and and power systems from companies I've worked with. I mean the the, the sort of the, the failure of complex systems. You know it spreads that whole breath. Um, a lot of it has been not paying attention to some subtle warning signs. And not, you know, in one particular instance, and again, this, this isn't the website, but a, a generator failure that I was close to, you know, we had one warning, like two years before we had a major incident. And we didn't follow up on that properly. Um, and I, and I, see, I see it with our customers. And they, you know, they start to degrade performance and then it gets better. And then, you know, then we've got a, we've got a fire drill. So, you know, just, just pay attention to the warning signs. Yeah, I would say, oh, by the way, before I forget, the name of that company, because it did come to is, is, uh, is Device Atlas. That's where I got the database from. So Device Atlas, if you, if you need that for the uh, mobile monitoring. But uh, I, I, would say, um, I would say in general, I, you know, I wish both my current company and my previous company took mobile a lot more serious, right? I think, the, I think we're still underestimating that the world, truly when you go outside of North America, is all about mobile and phones. And I think if you're not thinking about that, right, and how that affects your business and how it affects your, your technology stack, a, a user experience, I mean, so forth and so on. It's just, it is so mobile-centric, and I think if you're not thinking that way, it can't be, oh, we have an app, and that's your mobile strategy because you have some <laughs> dumb app, right? That, that's, your mobile strategy needs to be a lot more pervasive than that, and I think both previous companies and current, I think we could think a lot, we could be a lot better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and no, I agree with the, with the mobile. Interestingly, we're about 90% mobile, so all of our customers. And you look at emerging markets, they've never even seen a computer. A lot of these kids uh, have mobiles. I think the radio was about 70% penetration of every household in the world, and mobile's just coming up to that amount of penetration, so that's really important. But yeah, one thing that I would recommend straight away is to get into event-driven analytics. Um, you know, we use Mixpanel, there's a whole range of them out there, but the analytics you can get of, of actually what people are doing real time, it's just phenomenal how you can do your product development. Um, so that would be the thing that um, I'd recommend getting in early on. And, and I would add from my own experience here, um, e-com on mobile being really terrible. So many people think, oh, you'll do the transaction flow on a computer. And so I was at Live Nation when mobile surpassed web as the biggest driver of traffic to us, but it was not the biggest driver of conversion to ticket sales. And that's because the experience was terrible, because if you ever tried to pay something 
right? Um, and people really haven't thought how do we simplify things to the point of conversion for dollars because we're going to have to use this to, to do business. Um, and there's still a giant hole there um, outside of Apple Pay to do something well there. Um, any other questions or follow-up? <laughs> it's so annoying when that doesn't work and you need it. Or you're trying to zoom in <laughs> on I the... Really do we all know it, this. right? <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? Um, okay, well, let me go ask some more questions and we have a couple minutes. So I guess uh, just final thoughts on scale. Yeah. Anything you haven't said yet that you really want to impart to the audience? Oh, yeah. Um, on my Twitter feed, it's Chuck, D-A-F-O-N-K, like funk with an O. I put uh, some infographics. One is um, one that we did with the Music Business Association, which basically shows all the integrations you have to do to have a modern artist's website. And then there's another one called the Gartner digital marketing transit map, which is really cool. It like makes a London type subway map of all of the different areas of your digital product, or we could call it a website if we want. But it shows you all of the different areas of integration you have to consider. And I really suggest you take a look at it because there are areas that you may have not considered uh, when you're building your technology stack. So it's the Gartner digital, trans digital marketing transit map and the uh, music uh, artist website toolkit from Aquia Music Association and they're both on my Twitter feed, so check them out because I think it'll help you with your further technology development. I think the, I, I guess the thing that I look at, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm not as close to it as these guys, but it just seems to be looming is, you know, as, as the economy becomes more global, is, you know, the changes in regulatory, uh, the regulatory environment as you go into different countries and those countries change. Um, and, and how those things are going to impact our customers. I'm, I'm just kind of kind of waiting with bated breath to see those things uh, come down. Um, I guess for me, um, today's the 10th. Is that right, November 10th? Yes. yes. Okay, the reason I bring up the date is, um, you know, the world is uh, definitely changing a lot, and we talk about scalability. A key factor of that has to do with doing business all over the world. I mean, how many of you know that tomorrow is – how many people know what Singles Day is? Yeah. Okay. Interestingly enough, Singles Day is the biggest shopping day of the year in the entire world. It, is, it was started out of China. There will be four times, anywhere from four to 20 times, depends on who you believe, but a large number of transactions, more than Cyber Monday, Black Friday, or anything else. It was started in China, you know, but it is something, if you were doing business and your business is in China, you're going to see a dramatic spike up tomorrow on Singles Day. It's an anti-Valentine's Day. That's where the Singles Day comes from. Um, but it's, a, it's basically a shopping day for people who aren't with people, right, uh, or something like that. But the reason I bring that up is scalability is one of those things that you also have to think about on a geography basis, and I think we don't talk enough about that. There are many things that happen all over the world that you have to now start being mindful of because you're on the Internet. You're doing business all over the world. You need to know where your customers are coming from. And if you had a spike on 11.11 and didn't know why, then shame on you. So all of you should go look up Singles Day because I didn't know about it until this year. And But now it's, it's, it's something that I'm mindful of because it affects our business and probably affects the, either does affect your business or will affect your business next year on 11.11. .11. Uh, Damien, final thought? 
Cool, yeah, final thoughts. I uh, sound a little bit like an Amazon uh, salesman here today, so I'm not going to talk about <laughs> them. I Amazon starts <laughs> from sitting next to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, the important thing, I think, touching on that as well is, is scaling is scaling globally, and you need a local presence. Uh, you really, you know, as much as you try to try and do things from outside some of these territories until you get your feet into that country and understand the complexities of their network and how things work, you know, you just can't scale properly. So to go to the countries you want to scale in, um, make sure you're physically there um, and you understand that system of networks so that you can make sure your product is working to the best of its ability in that country. Great. I want to thank everyone for coming and I want to thank the panelists for being so insightful today. Thank you, everyone. Cool. Thank you.